Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Welcome to uh, the continuation of the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, we're going to hop right in. Uh, Acts chapter 4. We've been going through the book of Acts as uh, we, we use this, the, the swimming pool uh, analogy because I feel like the book of Acts is where the disciples really have to go from swimming with floaties on in the shallow end to diving into the deep end. And uh, really the deep end is not necessarily them doing more things. It's the Spirit's power working through them. And today is going to be, I think, a really tangible way for us to see that. Um, I've actually quoted this, uh, a verse in this passage several times to you. So you might hear it and be like, oh, Trey's definitely said that before. But we're going to be in Acts 4, verse 5, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read the first few here, and we'll dive in. On that day, their rulers, elders, and experts in the law came together in Jerusalem Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others who were members of the high priest's family. And after making Peter and John stand in their midst, they began to inquire, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, replied, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examined today for a good deed done to a sick man, by what means this man was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified, Whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healthy. This, Jesus, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, that has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. If you remember, uh, Peter and John are not in a good spot. And uh, I'm going to turn there just a few verses before because I don't have it in my notes. They're not in a good spot. Um, They had just started... The biggest megachurch that we would know of, in fact, uh, there's a magazine called Outreach Magazine that uh, surveys the, I think they write the 100 fastest growing churches, and I think they, w- they would have been number one because they went from basically like 50 to 5,000 men, which is probably 9,000, 10,000, 12,000 people in a matter of a few days. And uh, they said this great, uh, great sermon in front of everybody. They had just healed a man, and, and the biggest theme we talked about was this healing was indeed physical healing of a lame man who had been lame for, for, for decades, but that the reality of what they were doing was revealing to us how this lame man wasn't able to be fully in the presence of God because they thought that his ailment was in relationship to ge- generational sin, brokenness, so he was never allowed to enter in the temple. He was never allowed to worship fully. Uh, he was an unclean man. And Jesus is like revealing his power of restoring anybody, um, not only physically, but also spiritually. And so they do this. And of course, everybody sees it. They know this guy, right? He was the, the consistent beggar. And all of a sudden, the, uh, the religious leaders come into, onto the scene and they are not happy about it in any way. And they get arrested, which is pretty interesting. Um, I, I can imagine that like they probably feel like the police a little bit. In this time, like if you've ever, I don't know, in your miscreant days as a teenager, like had the cops chase after you or something like that, it would probably feel a little bit like that. You get this like crazy high and you're like, oh my gosh, we egged this house and now the cops are coming after us or something. And you look at me and you're judging me, but I swear a lot of you have done this, okay? So don't, don't, don't look at me like that. In college, actually, 
Uh, I might as well tell a story. In college, uh, we used to do this thing where, um, man, college is just a weird time. I don't know how else to say it. But we used to do this thing. We had an all-guys dorm. We had an all-girls dorm. And they were across the quad. And so there was just, like, fun, like, prank battles and all that. And so one time in the, uh, in the winter, we were in Chicago, and the snow was so bad that uh, the guys decided, let's build this massive, just massive snowball, and we'll put it right in front of the doors. Uh, they only had one exit, which doesn't seem like a good design of a building, but uh, they only had one main exit. And so we put this giant snowball thing, and this will be funny, like, you know, they'll have to have come, people come and, like, push it away. Well, uh, freezing, this is Chicago, freezing uh, snow and, and hail and, and rain came that night, and it, it basically plastered it to the porch to where you couldn't, you, it was solid ice. You couldn't even break it with like, like a hammer or anything. I mean, it was bad. So I just, I like to think that uh, in that moment, we were pretty terrified of what <laughs> campus safety was going to do to us. Uh, if you're wondering where the correlation is, I don't really know if there is any correlation to this story, <laughs> but I just thought I'd share it. But they're, they're, they're just, they're scared, right? And it's like, we're doing the right thing. Why, why are these people coming after us? And to be honest, I know you read the list of names, and you're like, well, some of these are hard to pronounce. I don't really know who these people are. This is like one of the highest level families in the Jewish culture. The high priest uh, is a big deal. His family is a big deal. And if anybody had influence to sway a panel of people to make decisions, even like, even death decisions, this was it. Um, and so they're sitting here, and I imagine that at some point, you know, Peter is, is pretty nervous because we know that Peter was the guy who was so willing to say one thing and then to do the absolute opposite. If we remember, Peter was the guy who would say, I will die for you, Jesus. And then about eight hours later, he runs away because a little girl asked him if he was, he's like, Aren't, weren't you with him? You know, three times. And so Peter obviously has big game, talks big game, doesn't necessarily follow through. In this moment, he had done a lot of really good stuff. We've actually, I think we've been pretty pow- uh, proud of Peter over the last several weeks. We've been talking about him, and he's been, he's been churning in the right trajectory. And in this moment, he's probably starting to wonder, man, like, I'm starting to do all this stuff. I'm actually starting to face the opportunity of persecution. I'm at the crux of something that could be really significant, where I had failed massively before. At this point now, we see Peter on this like, pretty awesome trajectory. So Peter and John have been arrested, and, and there's, you know, they have thousands of people, essentially, to back up what's been going on. And what's crazy here is that if you read in the, in the passage, there's two main phrases that I want to point out. The first one is in 4.8. It says, Peter was filled with the Spirit. The second one is at the end of 4.10, where uh, Peter is saying his cliche, basically, you killed Jesus. You crucified him. He's talking to the Jewish people. This is a pretty classic. This is like the third time Peter has done this in the last few chapters. This is his sermon piece, is you killed Jesus who was life and is life and is his salvation. Uh, and, but he says all this in light of this little phrase, filled with the Spirit. Now, many of you read the book of Acts, and you're like, I love the book of Acts. There's all these really cool healings, but there's a lot of this Holy Spirit stuff going on, and I don't really know what to think of it. It's very confusing. You know, we talked about uh, a few weeks ago how the Spirit came down. They started speaking tongues, like all these different languages and what was going on there. And now we have an opportunity where it says, Peter was filled with the Spirit, which is kind of confusing because you're thinking, okay, wait, like, aren't, you know, weren't they already filled with the Spirit, right? Wasn't Pentecost, like, the coming of the Spirit? Isn't the Spirit inside of them? Why would we say filling of the Spirit, right? It's a pretty, pretty confusing thing. Well, what's unique about Luke, who writes the book of Acts, is that he uses this phrase seven times in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. So he's, he's using it several times, and what's interesting is he uses it a lot in the beginning of the book of Luke. 
So you might ask yourself, well, that's interesting because the Spirit didn't come yet, like, tangibly on these disciples. So how was the Spirit there then, or how, how did it fill them? And so what we know from that is that there were these moments before the Spirit came during Pentecost that it would fill people. And typically we see the stories like, for example, the Spirit was filled uh, in John the Baptist, if you remember him. The Spirit filled Elizabeth and gave her clarity and wisdom. The Spirit uh, was filled in Zechariah, who had a prophecy uh, and then we see the Spirit filling people throughout the book of Acts. So there is this moment where the Spirit is filling you in such a way that you are basically, in what we see, you are able to encourage one another, edify the church, or, or just step into probably a courageous opportunity. And what's really unique about this is the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. I'm getting theological here for like one minute because I, this just matters because it's important because a lot of people get very confused by this. The baptism of the Spirit is what happens on Pentecost, and it's where believers are filled with the Spirit. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you follow him, and you believe in his sacrifice and his salvation and his kingdom, then in that, you are filled with the Spirit. You're baptized in the Spirit. But that doesn't mean that there's still not opportunities to be filled in the Spirit. Now, you're thinking, well, if I already have the Spirit, how can I be filled? It's not like your cup's full and then the Spirit just overflows the cup. But in some ways, it is, it is an expression and an idea that... What I am doing is walking and stepping in line with the Spirit and what the Spirit's calling me to do. The best way to describe that for me personally, I haven't had a ton of these moments where I feel like I could really like stand up here and say, this was like 100%, I know without a doubt, the feeling of the Spirit. But my call into ministry was actually very much, I would argue, this type of a feeling. I had been uh, a follower of Jesus for about two years. I grew up in the church. I, I would say, though, that it was on my head. It didn't go to my heart until college. And I, I, I've talked about, I had a... Um, pornography addiction. I was struggling with pride. I was really struggling with what it meant to be a man, honestly, in this world and as a Christian. And Jesus really freed me from a lot of the, the, the shame and the sin and the shackling that I had had. And in that moment, it went from my head to my heart where it all made sense. And then I had this season of about a year where I started to really like, be under, be discipled by some different guys. I had some older mentors, professors. Um, it was really just an awesome school experience with all those. And in that process, started to take hold of ministry opportunities. And when I say ministry opportunities, I don't mean like I immediately became a pastor and started teaching. I mean like I started to meet with other guys and, and talk about their, their sins and their struggles. And when freshmen would come in, I became an RA and I led a small group and things like that. I really started to love it, really started to love it. And at this point, I was planning on doing architecture for the long haul. So I was thinking, how do I be the most Jesus-loving guy in architecture? How do I use this career as an opportunity to further the gospel? Um, whether it's building churches or just like loving people around me that I'm building for, right? Uh, and I was very excited about that. Come summer, I'm in this pivotal spot where I'd become, I was accepted as an RA again and deciding, okay, I'm, I'm doing tennis, I'm uh, going to be an RA, I'm in an architecture program, which maybe you don't know, but the architecture program is very demanding. Um, if you have any friends who did it, uh, they were probably in the studio like all night, every night, just building models, and it was just a lot of work. And I knew I can't do all these things. So in that process, I'm praying through it all, and I'm kind of doing these devos that we had to do as an RA. And I'm watching this, it's funny, I laugh when I tell this story because it's just becoming more and more outdated, but if you know the song Thrift Shop by Macklemore, I know, it's, just, it's only going to get worse and worse. Like, when, when, our, when our kids are older, they're going to be like, who is, what is that, you know? And you're like, well, it was a few weeks where it was just really popular, but Thrift Shop uh, was being played, but it was a parody by these youth pastors, and I was listening to it, and it was really just the most random thing. I was listening to it, and I, I literally just felt like warm, and I felt like God had just clearly told me, hey, I want you to do that. I want you to be in ministry. I want you to do youth ministry, and um, it was very, like, uh, off-putting to me in the moment 
because I, I had not grown up in a very charismatic church. We didn't even talk, I don't even think we knew what the Holy Spirit was. And we didn't read the book of Acts. And, and so I was just like, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do, right? Like, this is kind of a big deal. And I don't want to just like jump on an emotional like high and change my trajectory of my life. So then I messaged a few people, and they're all affirming basically kind of what had God been stirring up in me over the past few months. So I, I come back in the fall, the first day of tennis. I hit, I hit around, and I realized I just can't do this anymore. And tennis had been like my life. And I quit tennis that day. I switch majors the next, the next, within the next three days. And so I'm literally doing RA, uh, youth ministry, and adolescent studies, and I'm just completely changing the trajectory of my life. Now, the thing was, I, I think I had the spirit in me all of that season of time. But there was a moment where I just felt almost so tangibly overpowered by what the spirit wanted me to do that I felt like I just had to lean into this. And I think for you, there's many moments like that in your lives, even now, even just in small ways. It doesn't need to be like this, this crazy moment. But for Peter and John, we see these small glimpses, and we'll see it in Paul, right? There's times where the spirit, Paul filled with the spirit, decides to not go somewhere and go somewhere else. So we know that like the spirit is active in our lives. It's helping us make decisions that matter and that are valuable. And what we see here, and what I think is really cool, is we always see them being filled in the spirit. We see the fruit of it, and then we can check it with scripture. We can discern, like, is this wise, right? Because some of you might have been like, I think the spirit told me to marry this guy, you know? And you're like, that's a really, like, you know, possibly, but really bold thing, right? And you got to check it. You'll be like, is this really real? And you talk to 10 of your friends, and you're like, no, he's a terrible person. Don't do that. And you're like, okay, well, maybe this wasn't the spirit, right? And that's the point of community, right? We don't do it alone. We don't discern things by ourselves. We have a group of people that we trust that are all praying, that are all united in the spirit. And Peter and John in this moment, I think it's so cool because the phrase that he was filled in the spirit is what gives fruit to, what they're, to, the, to the, the, the yield of what's going to happen. And what I mean by that is if you look in the scripture here, in verse 13, I'm just kind of skipping down a little bit, but verse 13 when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and discovered that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized that these men had been with Jesus. And because they saw the man who had been there standing with them, they had nothing to say against them. This is the verse that I've quoted to you because I've encouraged you that there is no excuse for, for not being missional. Like our, our lives dictate that. Following Jesus means that a part of our lives is mission. It's it's what does it mean to live my life, my career, or our family, or our neighborhood, or whatever, right? The places that we work out, the places we eat. What does it mean in light of Christ? And in this moment, if, if these ordinary men are able to, in, in Peter's words, drop this awesome like sermon, right? And it's filled with the Spirit. He is actually more powerful in this moment, the, the, the content, the sermon, and the, the effect of it, because he's an ordinary guy. In fact, in some ways... I, I think had he have been educated, they could have been like, this guy is a little bit of a fox. Like he's, or he's a wolf. Like he knows the stuff, right? And he's sneaky and he can, he can twist words. And, and that's why in the Bible, there's lots of scriptures about teachers and how they should be held to a high standard because they can easily manipulate and take advantage of and they can pull things out out of context and things like that. And, and in the same way here, they are amazed because they know there's no way that, that they could do all of this on their own. And just think about that for a second. God sets it up in such a way that when he brings the Holy Spirit on the scene, which is the test testifying of Jesus' power, that the whole point of it is to show his power through basically ordinary, weak people. Now, think, if you think about that for a second, you know, I think about that in light of my life. Am, am I living out that trajectory, or am I trying to be a strong person that sometimes uses the Spirit? Like, am I trying to, like, 
get myself together and read self-help books and become this great person who just doesn't struggle with anxiety and who like can do all my to-do lists and is very disciplined and, and diets and works. You know, like, am I trying to just become this like amazing person? And then after that, I can like throw Holy Spirit on like garnish and be like, look at me, look what the Spirit did. Or am I, am I actually willing to, to, to confront some of the darkest, deepest parts of my heart and my life, yield them over to the Spirit and see the Spirit and just go to work? Francis Chan once said that there's a lot of churches in America who meet on a Sunday and they, they worship God, but if you took the Holy Spirit out of that, it wouldn't look any different. And I think about that in our church. Like, we have people who are directors who we chose for several reasons, but we have people who volunteer and hold doors and work the sound equipment and right, make coffee, all that stuff, right? And a lot of those are really cool things. But the coolest thing that we get to do at Contrast Church is see somebody who was totally not capable of whatever they were doing, and you see the Spirit work tangibly in their lives. And that's why, I don't know about you, if you've been here long enough, you've seen a lot of people come up here and tell their story, and there's sometimes you just look at them and you're like, that is just like, if that isn't filled with the Spirit, I don't know what is. Because I've talked to them in person, they're more nervous, they usually don't have like clear words to say. They went up here and they just, just told you the truth of the gospel in light of their life. And it was so powerful. So I read this and I think I'm already starting to turn in my, my mind of in what ways do I need to surrender to God so that, so that the Spirit can truly move in ways that are not myself or my own. Peter immediately is just like, um, he's immediately like, look, it's not, it's not us, it's Jesus. I mean, he immediately, I said this last week, he immediately discredits his own power because he could easily just be like, I'm amazing and I'm healing and this is my thing. He immediately pushes it off himself. Now, the problem with this, and we, we've talked about the tension of the book of Acts, is that the spirit is, is truth, but truth always causes division, believe it or not. I know we've probably thought, like, no, truth is always, like, always um, easy, and, and, it, 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 and it, it goes into a community, and it's easily accepted. And if you look at the narrative of the Bible, truth is oftentimes pushed against. That doesn't make truth any less truth, but what it does is it makes it, it, it pushes against the very own kingdoms that we've created. These, these uh, religious leaders, uh, we're going to get to in a second, but they're not happy about this. Obviously, they jailed them. They're asking them questions. And the main reason they're not happy about it is because it's pushing against their own kingdom. In fact, their own kingdom is so prideful. This man, who was never able to be a part of their community for 40 years, finally is not only healed, but can be a part of their community, and they care nothing about him and, and the healing. They're not like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. Like, how did you guys do this? We don't trust you, but like, praise God. Like, wow, this guy can be in our, like amazing, right? We haven't had one of these in a really long time, right? Probably ever. And they're like, nope, let's just center in on our, how this is going to affect our very own kingdom and our very own life. And I just think about that in my own life. Like, there's so many things that I'm fearful of, not because of the fruit of what's going to happen, but because what it will do to my life, my comfort, the way that I see things, the way that I think. This is probably a huge piece of why our culture today in so many different avenues is so toxic because we have an arguing point or we have a side or a say or whatever and we're holding it so tightly and we're terrified to be actually realize we're wrong because it will have massive implications on the, the walls that we've built, the kingdom that we've built and it, it takes a huge shot of humility to be able to be willing to be like, I could be wrong, right? And, and these, these disciples are poking at Really, the, the pharisaical way of thinking about following God in this respect is that they don't really care about the fruit because their hearts are so hardened. All they want to do is shut down men of influence because their kingdoms cannot be at risk of being torn down. 
And so in verse 15, when they had ordered them to go outside, the council then began to confer with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For it is plain to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign, a notable miraculous sign, has come about through them, and we cannot deny it. But to keep this matter from spreading any farther among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And they called, uh, they called them in and ordered them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, you know, you're Peter. Once again, you're caught by the police here. You're, you're pretty nervous. You give a really good, really like poignant teaching, right? You're like, you crucified the one whom is life, right? Very intense, very truth-cutting. The spirit is not holding anything back from these religious leaders. And they, they take you out. They, they confer. They invite you back in. They say, hey, uh, we don't want you to do this anymore. And that, I think, is, is, a very, is another moment of just like, oh, my gosh, okay, I had already like, survived the first encounter here, and now they're coming back and saying, hey, this is, like, you cannot do this. And I think what's so cool about this moment is, you know, Peter had denied Jesus three times, if you remember. There was three different people who kind of asked him, aren't you with him? Aren't you Galilean? Your accent's weird. And he's like, no, 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 I swear I'm not with Jesus, right? And so he, he denies him three times. One of the Gospels, he even looks at Jesus and he sees his face and he just weeps. I have the painting in my office. I think it's so cool. It's just like this moment where you look at Jesus and you're just aware of your sin. And he just weeps. And then there's this, these, these few days of just self-loathing. And, you know, Peter's like, I'm going to go back and fish. And then Jesus restores him. If you know the story in John, it's beautiful. Jesus brings him over a charcoal fire, which was what Peter was standing around when he denied him three times. And it's no matter of fact, it's scent is the strongest link to memory. So she's just like, let me just, let me just put that moment back on the scene here. And then what does he do? He asks me, do you love me three times, right? Three times. And he restores him. And he says, look, Peter, like, you've got a lot ahead of you. I'm paraphrasing here. But you've got a lot ahead of you. Like, it's going to be hard. Like, when you're older, you're not going to be able to actually do what you want. You're probably going to be persecuted. You're going to walk where you don't want to go. People are going to take you where you don't want to be. And this is, this is the future for you. A very gloom vision. Nobody's like can't wait for that. can't wait until I'm older and I have no money and I like, can't do what I need to do. And, you know, it's like nobody's thinking like that. We all think we're going to be just invincible until we're 100 and then we just, you know. And, and he's like, no, like your, your life's going to be hard. And Peter steps into that and then we see the Spirit come and he gives these amazing sermons. And he's at this point now where it just, it's another point of just like legitimate heavy tension of what do I do? Because remember, the Jewish people, they, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult with Rome because Rome was like the kneecap breakers and won taxes. But the Jews, really, their laws were, were really, really important. Like, it was essentially the police. And you would follow those laws. And then when they tell you, hey, you can't do this anymore, you don't have a lot of options. Things are not going to go well. You don't really want to run away from Jerusalem. And so they give them this moment, and Peter and John reply in verse 19. Whether it is right before God to obey you rather than God, you decide. What a zinger. For it is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them, for they could not find how to punish them on account of the people, because they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the miraculous sign of healing had been performed was 40 years old. Now, this is just, I think, like, if there's a moment in your life where you feel intense, um, like, ethical spiritual difficulty, right? What do I do? What does this law mean? How does this mean in light of following Jesus? What does it mean to like love this person? What, I work at a job where I can't talk about Jesus. What does this mean? How do I live my life in this way? How do I do that, right? You know that. You're dealing with that, right? Like, this is just such a powerful understanding of, of what it can mean 
to be like, look, I am ordinary. I have weaknesses. I actually have circumstantial weaknesses. I'm not in a community that's for Jesus. I'm not in a community that wants to hear anything I have to say. What do I do in light of this? And I think when you're filled with the Spirit, the answer is pretty easy. And it's not that he, in this moment, they are pretty, like, cutting, like, blunt. Like, yeah, like, we're going to take it up to God, not you guys. It's pretty blunt. But, but I, I think in the way that they move in Jerusalem and the people that they reach, they're just trusting the utmost of the Spirit. They're not relying on themselves. They have nothing really to give. In fact, they told the lame beggar, hey, we got no money, but what we can give you is physical healing because of Jesus. How does that sound? You know, we got nothing. We got no influence. We got no wealth. But what we can give you is basically the Holy Spirit. In verse 23, when they were released, Peter and John went to the fellow believers, reported everything the high priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, quote, Master of all, you who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, for, uh, who said by the Holy Spirit through your servant David, our forefather, why do the nations rage and the people plot foolish things? The king of earth stood together and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Christ, For indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together in this city against your holy servant, Jesus. Basically, everybody went against Jesus, whom you anointed to do as much as your power and your plan has decided beforehand would happen. And now, look at this, and now, Lord, pay attention to their threats and grant to your servants to speak your message with great courage while you extend your hand to heal and to bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, in verse 31, what happens? When they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God courageously. This is, this is the fruit of being filled in the Spirit. You come back in a moment of persecution, and you notice, like, I, I think they're probably scared, but they immediately just shift to prayer, to petition, to the reading of Scripture, and saying, Lord, like, here is your heart. How can we be faithful to what you will do in light of all of this? And I just think, like, if that, if that is a small piece of our lives today, I think it will change radic- like radically. It will change things radically. Not only your own beliefs of, is the world bad? Is the world hard? Things are so bad right now, and what do I do? And I have no influence, and, and, and nothing will change, right? Like, all of that mourning that you fall into, not that that's not valid to mourn, but can you just pray, Lord, like, Lord, you're not turned away from this. Like, you're not taking 10 years off. You're not, you weren't like, oh my gosh, a pandemic, what do I do? You're not worried about rising gas prices. And, and in fact, if anything, he's saying, no, now's your time to step up. Let me make you weak so you can prove the power of my spirit. And I, I think about this, I really do. I think about, you know, I don't, many of us, I think, if we're humans, we, we are fearful of inflation. And like, man, like, I, if I don't get a raise and I have to pay more money for everything, and like, what if bills are tighter and we, we can't, we don't have as much leverage, we can't be as generous, or we can't have as much fun, right? You start to think of all of these things. We have money, we have to live with it. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm just like, look, like, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the amount of money I have has very little to do with that changing, if anything. And if anything, in two years, I could be a lot poorer, I could live in a smaller house, I could whatever, I could go out less. And if anything, it's probably going to draw me closer to Jesus. And it's also going to make me, my faith stronger, knowing that the Spirit is the only thing that's going to change things around here. Not Trey, not his money, not his charisma, not his talents, right? Let's just strip it all away. 
It's ordinary people with an extraordinary spirit. For you personally, you, you have your inadequacies, right? Whether you're like, oh, I don't know the right scripture well enough. I don't have the right answers. I'm nervous about my friend. It has all these hoops, right? We have different political beliefs. We have whatever, right? Just, just, just read this scripture and see what they're doing. They're not praying to be smarter. They're not praying that they would just be able to memorize the whole Bible. They're not praying uh, even that that person necessarily would just, would just get it. They're praying, Lord, you knew this moment. You know what is going forward. Like they, they say, let us pay attention. To, or, or we want you to pay attention to the threats and to grant your servants opportunities to speak your message. And they, they say, that's great. But then you're, while you're, while you're going to heal, while you're going to bring about miraculous signs, we already know you're going to do all of this. God does not need you, but he wants to include you. God is going to do a great work out there. And, and to know that God is doing it with broken people is a really, really cool thing. And, and in this moment, they're just saying, hey, can we be faithful to what you're going to do? Can we join alongside of what you're doing? Because it's too big for us. Like, this is overwhelming. The entire police of the Jewish people are not wanting us to speak your name in this city. And it doesn't end well for people who go against the, the high priest and the, that community. We just can't, like, we're at this point, we're at a crux. And we want to have courage and we want you to do what you're going to do, and we want us to be a part of that. And so what I want to just close with today is, is the idea of the filling of the Spirit and this idea of, of last week was an opportunity. Like there's these opportunities the Spirit gives us, right? I just want to encourage you in your heart and in your mind that like there are moments where you feel like, man, I am an ordinary person. I do not have, like I said, the charisma, the talent, the intellect, whatever, to do this, to be Spirit-led in this moment. But that is exactly where God wants you. That is exactly where God wants you. And I say that on my own. I'm like, you know, people are like, oh, you're, you're smart. You have degrees. You, you read the Bible and stuff. You know, and it's like, okay, sure. But I've joked with this. Like, we go up to our neighbors, and I have no idea. Like, they live completely different lives. I have no idea how to relate to them in a lot of ways. Now, it's nice when you have kids. Because you're like, we both have kids. Ha ha, that's great. Let's talk about how we don't sleep, right? But, like, <laughs> but... I mean, Sarah knows there's been times, and even she, we would both admit, like, we're just like, this is really hard. Like, we don't know how to, how to love them well um, if we just don't even know how to start the conversation. We don't know how to not be awkward. We don't, wait, you name it, right? There is a million things that the, that the devil just kind of conjures up in you. And I would just say, if instead of looking at that and saying, oh, no, this is not what God intended, and saying this is actually very much God's plan that in my weaknesses I would be made strong, that Paul brags about, like, hey, I had this, I had that, I, this is my weakness, this is my weakness. He's not doing it to be, like, sadistic. He's doing it because he's like, look, when you see all of this and then you see the fruit, you know it wasn't me. You know it was God. And praise God for that. And so I encourage you in your own life, like, there, there are opportunities right now that I think you can be praying, and maybe you have had moments where you're praying for opportunities. You've experienced the Spirit kind of tug on you and you've been resistant, you've been hesitant because you don't feel equipped. And just read Peter. That dude was a mess a few chapters ago. And now he's telling off the highest people in the Jewish community. And we'll see in the rest of the book of Acts, nothing stops the gospel. You're here today because it wasn't stopped. And you're here today because of ordinary people who had an extraordinary spirit. So I want to welcome up uh, Nick and the band a little bit. We're going to transition to a time. We do this every Sunday. Uh, we call it reflection time. And uh, there's three things you can do. If you are a follower of Jesus or would like to become a follower of Jesus, uh, we have the breading cup, which is uh, a reminder and a symbol of Jesus' sacrifice for us. The night that he was betrayed, 
he broke bread and took wine and they uh, and he said, "Look, this is my body. This is my blood." And it's a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. So we offer it every Sunday for you. Uh, we have one in the front and one in the back. We also have gluten free in the very far back if you need that. Uh, it is grape juice, just so you know. And uh, the other two things you can do is we'd love for you. If you would love prayer for anything, we have people in the back who are here just specifically to pray for you. No pressure. You can pray with just them. You can ask to share it with our prayer team, and we will pray for it throughout the week. And the last thing is you can just sit and reflect. I don't know about you, but in my life, I have very little time to just sit and just be. And so we're going to give you a minute or two for that, and then we're going to close in one more worship song. Um, But if you're thinking about what's like a question that I can reflect on and ponder on is is in what ways in my life do I need to lower myself? Do I need to see the power of the Spirit in my life so that I can, I can live into the filling of the Spirit, live into the empowerment of the Spirit? Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.